0: Welcome in everyone to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan and boy, sometimes you have a plan on what you're going to talk about and the world says, well, actually you're going to do this. So we've got a ton of things to talk about. All of them we decided to talk about here within the last you know, few hours of the day. So let's not delay. We've got a ton to get to. Let's introduce the guys. He's going to give us a full breakdown, breakdown on how to block Jordan Davis. Sam Bleka is with us. What's going on, dude?
1: Step one, lay on the ground. Step two, curl into a ball. Step three, pray the man does not eat you. He's
0: going to tell us how to get a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical, just like Alec Pierce. Jacob Allen is with us. What's going on, dude? Uh,
2: Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that.
0: I, I apologize.
2: Sean does lie occasionally.
0: Every once in a while, and this is the biggest one of all. I am Sean Deegan, and I'm going to tell you, Exactly how to run the greatest forty time of your life without pulling your hamstring.
2: Sean, going to rewind real quick just for a really sad story uh, about myself. So a couple of years ago, I, I believe it was college years. I, I I think it was. I cannot recall if it was ESPN or Sports Illustrated that did an article on a forty-year-old guy that trained himself to be able to dunk a basketball. Oh yeah. And they had his whole, like, workout regimen in there and what he did. And, like, any reasonable person, I think you all can see where this is going. Like, any reasonable person, I was like, he's 40. I'm, you know, at the time, 20. I haven't been able to of dunk a basketball before. If I do this guy's routine for about a year, I'm going to be able to dunk a basketball. You didn't get to see any videos of me dunking a basketball, did you? I did not. There's your, there's your answer as to how it went. But I, I truly believed that I could do it. Uh, the best
0: I could do was reject myself with the rim. And it's closer than a lot of us get in our lifetime, so well done. You got, you got halfway there. I'll give you halfway credit.
2: I, I appreciate the uh, generosity there, because you and I both know that when you dunk on an eight-foot rim even – rejecting yourself with the rim, you're only like 25% of the way there.
0: All right, let's get to what's going on in the NFL because apparently nothing got rejected in in the NFL. There were deals, there were franchise tags, there were contract extensions, and they were everywhere. Honestly, thought the biggest news of the day we were going to get uh, was going to be the Calvin Ridley story about him uh, being banned Indefinitely, uh, at least for the the entire of 2022. And none of us were really that excited to talk about that because that's not fun. So thank God the NFL decided to explode as we approached the franchise tag deadline. Aaron Rodgers came out and said he was staying with the Green Bay Packers. There's some dispute as to whether or not they're the reported contract. uh, Adam Schefter and and there was one of the reporter I'm blanking on, all talked about how it's Four years for $200 million. There is now a reporter from Denver who came out and disputed that. Aaron Rodgers himself came out and disputed that. Said he was staying in Green Bay, but that's, he's not signed a contract uh, and certainly not an extension for that amount. And we thought, I thought maybe that might be the news, and we could talk about that and the impact it has around the league and who ends up where after that. Well, then we got a, another answer for that. Russell Wilson. And this is where we're going to start things off gets traded to the Denver Broncos, up where Jacobs at right now. And maybe not the the prize they were seeking, but um, one of the Broncos insiders, Benjamin Albright, was talking about on Twitter. This has kind of been in the works for the last two weeks when the Broncos realized they weren't going to be able to acquire uh, Aaron Rodgers. And so – They were able to come to a deal. This is from Alan Bell on Twitter. These are the details of the trade. There are two first-round picks, one from this year, one from next year. The one from this year is the ninth overall pick in the NFL draft. Two second-round picks, uh, one from this year, one from next year. A fifth-round pick, Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, and Noah Fant. And the Broncos, in return, get Russell Wilson and a fourth-round pick from the Green Bay Packers. It's a lot to unpack here. A lot of implications for both teams. So I haven't even put any questions. I want to keep this conversation kind of open. Let's go around the horn. Uh, Jacob, you're in Denver. Tell us what the reaction was in Colorado and what your reaction was when Russell Wilson officially became a member of the Denver Broncos. Yeah, I imagine we all are going to have a couple points
2: just thrown around here on this whole thing. But as far as just reaction to it, You've got a, you can look at it from a def, bunch of different perspectives. As a Chiefs fan, it's not a good thing that Russell Wilson is coming to town because another team in your division instantly is better. You can, you can try to spin it as a long-term Chiefs fan and say, okay, they're good right now, but what did they pay for it? And, you know, how much does Russell have left in the tank? You can look at it that way, too. I... I honestly was happy it wasn't Rodgers because he scares me a little more than what I've seen of Russell Wilson over the last couple of years. Again, the Broncos are still better. They're going to mess with the Chiefs' path at this point, at least a, a little amount at at the least. It's it's crazy though. We we are approaching a whole new era of the NFL of quarterbacks controlling everything and the whole trade deal has me had me looking up a bunch of different stuff just about you know like how big of a trade is this so i I was looking up the herschel walker trade i was like okay it still didn't touch that because that was three firsts and three seconds but it didn't include the players but just it was a little shocking to be like man that's what a quarterback costs which is just wild One, one initial question I have for you guys, and I know I'll let you guys also get emotions, but, and I know Sean, you said it's been in the works for over two weeks. How different would the trade package have looked for Aaron Rodgers or was this package, the skeleton of what was going to be the Rodgers trade? And then they had to shift it just a little bit to make it Russell Wilson instead.
0: I'll give my answer now, then I'll throw it to Sam for his reaction, maybe his thoughts on it. I I bet the trade offer for Aaron Rodgers would have had to have been more, just because his play has stayed consistent, I think, longer than maybe Russell Wilson's, where Russell starts off really strong the first half of every season and usually has a point in the second half, at least the last couple of years, not, not for his whole career, but the last couple of years as he started to get older, where it kind of tails off, and then he resurges. So I think you would have had to give up more for for Rodgers in order to make that happen. Um, Sam, what about you? What was your reaction to the news that Russell Wilson is a Denver Bronco and, and also take a moment to a- answer Jacob's question about what do you think maybe the offer would have had to have been for, for Aaron Rodgers as opposed to Russell
1: Wilson? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the initial reaction is the NFL has gone full Madden at this point. I mean, these trades are – like. Player trades are really something – it's it's funny because us growing up playing video games, we were able to make these stupid trades, but in reality they don't really happen. Like play, just straight player trades are not something that is a – big name player trades, I should say. It's not something that's a commonality. And I think that's the reason why we've seen these past several off seasons where it's, oh, the quarterbacks, they're all going to be traded. It's going to be a quarterback hotshot market. And nothing's ever happened because it's so hard to do these deals. Like you see, you've seen it a couple of times. Most of the time guys going in free agency. It's very rarely that big name trade that we just saw Matt Stafford last year was kind of the first one, but I mean, you can argue Matt Stafford was a guy that was everyone didn't know what he was. He was just Matt Stafford. So Russell Wilson, I think is almost somewhat in that boat at this point, um, which somewhat surprised me. It's, what do you, I gotta remember? What was Matt Stafford's trade? I can't remember because they basically gave up a first to get rid of Jarek Goff as well. Few seconds, I'll tell you. I uh, was so I had that one in mind as well, be,
2: because it's it's semi similar to the trade in the sense that you're trading a guy who is not in the middle of his prime anymore by any means, but still has something left in the tank. But yeah, clearly the.
0: Compensation was quite a bit more. Okay, I think I got it here. This is from uh, CBS Sports. Uh, their website was written by Jared Dubin and Jeff Kerr. Uh, Lions sent Stafford to the Los Angeles Rams in exchange for the Rams' first-round draft picks in 2022 and 2023 and a third-round pick in 2021, and quarterback Jared Goff. So they gave up So two... That ends-
1: yeah. So they gave up two firsts and a third um, and Jared Goff, which I honestly think that one of those firsts was to get rid of Jared Goff to, to unload that contract. But I mean, it's, I think that was the surprising thing is the, the haul that we talked about that Russell Wilson just went for. Uh, I mean, that's that's the future of a team sitting behind a quarterback that, yeah, quarterbacks are playing for a lot longer. And I, I don't expect Russell Wilson to be done at any or any time. But man, that's a lot of capital to bring a guy in um, for like unknowing what he actually is. Cause again, the Seahawks haven't been good. Like Russell Wilson obviously is still a great quarterback, but he hasn't been able to drive a team. He's not, he hasn't been good enough to take a bad team to be really good, which is, I mean, what I think he probably was able to do at a younger age, but he had an excellent defense. So I think my reaction is, yes, the Denver Broncos just got way better. Um, It it just made the AFC West the toughest division in the NFL now with, I would say, obviously, Mahomes, got Herbert and Wilson that fall within that really good category. And then Carr's still a very solid quarterback as well. So it's a – It's a big move. It's going to shake up kind of the landscape as far as whoever makes it out of the AFC West is obviously going to be looked at as a contender even more so now, because we're having to go through, I mean, you've got four very solid quarterbacks at the minimum. Um, And yeah, I, I can only imagine if that's what Russell Wilson went for Aaron Rodgers. you're looking at potentially add another first and a second, and I think or, – or the players that would – the compensation for players would have been much higher because I guarantee you Green Bay would have been like, yeah, you can keep Drew Locke, give, uh, give us some of the young, young, actual talented players.
2: Well, and what an interesting day for Broncos fans too emotionally because you found out after two years of sitting there saying, we've got to get Rodgers to this squad that it's not going to happen, guys. We know where it's headed now.
0: We're going to the backup guys. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, but we got him. Cool. Another thing to keep in mind about the Broncos. This is also from Benjamin Albright. I was trying to find this cause it's, I think it's pertinent. And he tweeted out, um, and Benjamin Albright, for those who don't know, he's an insider for the Broncos, uh, KOA in Colorado, which I think is a radio station out there or a TV station out there. Um, but he also tweeted out that they still have five picks inside the top 115 in 2022. They have 64th overall, 75th, 96, 113 and 114. So there's I mean even with all the capital they gave up, which I agree is significant. They gave up a lot to go get a Hall of Fame quarterback. They still have enough capital to really reinforce their team to add depth to their team. You know, we've seen firsthand what happens when you pick in the 60s, you can end up with a guy like Creed Humphrey. Like, that's that's a huge all-pro caliber player to get in the second round. So there are pieces that they can still add. I think that, for me, is the thing that, while, yes, the Broncos did, a, did give up a lot, they haven't done anything crippling to their team. They didn't have to give up Jerry Judy. They didn't have to give up Cortland Sutton. They still have that big three of Patrick, Sutton, and and Judy, and then uh, Albert O, because I'm not going to try and attempt that tight end's last name after they gave up Fant. I think that's why they felt comfortable giving up Fant, because they have a legitimate replacement that can at least be competent at the position, if not solid. All of that, and we haven't even talked about Javante Williams behind Russell Wilson, who excels in play action we've already seen in in Pete Carroll's system when the run game's going well. Russell's devastating. There are a lot of reasons, if you're Denver, to be excited. I think you've you've created a division that maybe is unprecedented in in how tough it's going to be when you look at – the top level quarterback play that is available. You have a definitive future Hall of Famer, a guy that we all assume is going to be a future Hall of Famer in Patrick Mahomes, and a guy who has the talent to be a Hall of Famer in Justin Herbert. It's just a matter of he can put it all together and the Chargers put a good team around him that accentuates his talents. And while I mean, we all kind of look Sean, at Sean, Derek-
2: I got I to stop you there. You just assume that Russell Wilson is already a Hall of Famer. Yes. Yes. He's a Hall of Famer. You, need you don't, need, you don't need an you don't need an MVP to
0: be a Hall of Famer. No, he has got the Super Bowl. I I, I honestly, God, think like people will be like, eh, he's a Hall of Famer. I I he's gonna catch a lot
2: of the big names. Yeah, if he plays like four more seasons. So I don't fully disagree with you, but I don't think it's necessarily a shoe in at this point. I think he rejects to be, but I just wanted to be sure because Hall
0: of Fame discussion is something I think about a lot. No, he'll be a Hall of Famer. Like I I would I put my I put a flag in the ground on that one. I mean, but think about like Derek Carr is the worst quarterback in this division. And Derek Carr is a good quarterback. I mean, we kind of like dismiss it now because we have Patrick Mahomes. But there was a debate for a while when it was Alex Smith and Derek Carr, like who had the better quarterback? Like, he's a good quarter. He's a solid guy. It's just a matter of that team can, you know, reach competency at the front office level. Can they put a good team around him? This division is going to be a Dogfight. This is the opposite of what Brady had to deal with in the AFC East. Like Mahomes is gonna, like we talked about, like Mahomes, like having to struggle and fight like the top quarterbacks now. With all these young guys coming up. This is going to be a dogfight for a long time. There are no easy wins anymore in 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 the AFC West. Depending on what happens in in Las Vegas with the Raiders, you know, obviously those two were were big wins. I, I think this division is going to be. Let me say it this way. Don't be surprised if somebody wins this division with ten to eleven wins. No, no doubt. Another
2: thing, I'm, I'm, I have two, two more spins I can think of right in the moment. But another thing to me is, it's almost kind of a sense of relief for me with the whole Russell Wilson deal because we were expected this perfection of oh yeah the Chiefs should definitely walk through the AFC West. At this point, you almost you feel like you. I mean, you still have to be good, but you you feel like you're not always having you're, – you're always going to be geared up to play against your division now, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's like you know every game is huge now versus just a uh, cakewalk. And maybe that's what this team needed was not getting some off games because they clearly over the past two-ish, three seasons, took some games off and, you know, half slept walk through them. I mean – Washington football team this year, Broncos this year at the end of the year, Falcons last year, Jets of last year, I believe that was closer than it should have been. But another thing I question on all of this is, why were the Seahawks willing to give up Russell Wilson? And before you give me the, well, he wasn't happy there answer, let's look at Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers always claims to not be happy in Green Bay, but what does Green Bay do for that guy? absolutely everything he wants just to keep him around. Seahawks would do the same thing if there wasn't something about his play that they don't like. That's what I'm questioning as a put myself in the Broncos fandom shoes. I would be excited. I'll stick there. Be excited, Broncos fans. You got a lot better. Your team's getting more entertaining. But also in the back of my mind, I'm questioning why did they trade why are they so willing to trade him when you look at Aaron Rodgers and they say, no way, would we will do everything to keep this guy? And then one more thing I was looking up about Russell Wilson because of the getting sacked narrative, he has been hit a lot. If you look at pro football uh, reference, you can they have the sack numbers there pretty easily available to you. I think it was like 48 times he got sacked last year or two years ago it's like oh my gosh for reference I believe Mahomes was like 38 this year which is his most ever it was something along those lines the point I'm getting to without having the numbers in front of me is that the Broncos gave up about the same sack percentage rate last year with Bridgewater behind center as the Seahawks did so it's another thing just to be a little tentative if you're a Broncos fan of If the problem in Seattle was Russell getting sacked and hit, he's going to have a somewhat similar situation here because the line was giving up about the same amount of sacks.
0: Sam, I'll I'll turn this over to you here in a minute to address what Jacob said, but just to back up your point, Jacob, um, Russell has been sacked less than 40 times twice in his career. His rookie year when he was sacked 33 times, and this past season, where he only played 14 games, and he was also sacked 33 times. So out of a 17-game season, he played 14 and was sacked 33 times. Before that, in, in reverse order, going back from 2020 to 2013, it's 47, 48, 51, 43, 41, 45, 42, and 44.
2: And I, I also was looking directly at the sack rate just to kind of see how they compared. And it was like six percent or something along those lines, and that was about what the Broncos were doing too. Versus, I believe Mahomes is like three point eight percent, which yeah. is a which is a
1: big difference in the amount of times you're getting sacked. Jacob's correct. I think the the question, like, there's no doubt Russell Wilson is an immediate upgrade at, at the position, as we we've, we've all kind of obviously alluded to, and I don't think anyone's going to question that. But I, I do think there is a a serious lingering question on when the Seahawks were really good. Russell Wilson was obviously a part of that, but it was the Legion of Boom. No one's ever going to question that that team was led by that defense, specifically that secondary. That was just something we hadn't really seen before. And then Russell Wilson had Marshawn Lynch, one of, I think, an underrated running back, but maybe one of the more talented running backs we've seen in a long time. Um, just didn't maybe live quite up to the potential that I think he had, just jumping from the teams to teams. But still, amazing running back that allowed that team to do a lot with very minimal pieces. I mean, and that was a team that was kind of pieced and part together on the offensive side, and it worked. So you kind of look at it a couple ways. You're looking at Russell Wilson's going to a much better team now with a less less experienced head coach. So is it going to be the case of kind of a Matt Stafford type situation where, okay, I think this will be the comparison because that's essentially what the Broncos just did, is as we talked about right after the Super Bowl, the Broncos apparently just watched the Rams win the Super Bowl and said, yep, that's the key. Let's just go spend a lot of money or capital on a quarterback, and we're going to win the Super Bowl. And it, it may pay out for them, but I—they are going to again. They have a long road ahead of them, a hard road in front of them to get to the playoffs in the first place. Um, and it's just—it's going to be telling very early on with Russell Wilson to see, okay. Is he as good as I think everyone thinks he is? I I don't think there's anyone that is out there that's going to say Russell Wilson is not a damn good quarterback. But I think now that he has the tools, if he doesn't show out, the flaws are going to come through real fast. And one of the things that probably will hurt that the most is he's going to have basically a rookie head coach. And it's going to be on more his shoulders than I think – it would be if he would have gone to a team that had a more experienced head coach. Like imagine him going to the Bucks with Bruce Arians. Like that's a completely different scenario. Same similar team setup where you have all of the the personnel that team is designed really well, but now you have a very experienced head coach. You're going to the Broncos. Very well put together team, brand new head coach. So it's going to be just kind of a it'll be an interesting situation to see what how well this actually gels and fits. Uh, But regardless, Broncos fans, crack your beers tonight because you should be very happy that now you have a quarterback that can do something other than rap on the sidelines. Yes, Sam. And to almost kind of
2: summarize what you're saying and the thought I've had on the whole process is you're you're good again. But how much gooder did you get? Because it's like, what what is it worth to you to give up that much draft capital? Is is Russell Wilson taking it back to the playoffs worth that draft capital? Does he have to win a championship to make it happen? And then on top of that, one thing, and I you know, I've only briefly spoke to students today about it. If I was at school today for the full day, it would have been an entire day of talking about this trade. But I was out of the building most of the day and came back at the very end of the day, just to clarify. I don't want anyone thinking out there that I actually talk and do my job when I'm at work. But you can compare it to the Peyton Manning deal of, hey, that was a roster that tacked on the missing piece. But that defense was a lot different. You guys sat here. You got this eyeball test, this Broncos defense. You go look at their numbers and things they grayed out pretty well. I think it was more of a style of play of, all right, use the clock, keep possessions limited. And we even saw it in the last game of the season against the chiefs that the Broncos chiefs played, but I just don't see the same defense. So I want to be a full believer for the Broncos and really be terrified for them. But there's a couple red flags that just keep popping up for me. And I'm, I try not to be a hater for them and, and I try to encourage them, but there are just, you can't ignore the red flags, you. But again, like Sam said, you know what? Be excited.
0: How much of, uh, if this show might go along because of this conversation, but I am curious how much of the narrative that Pete Carroll holds the offense back in Seattle because of how much he likes to run the ball do you buy into? Because I feel like in Denver, granted, um, first year head coach, like you said, Sam, but coming from an offense that lets Aaron Rodgers throw, like really lets him air it out. How much of the narrative do you guys buy into that? uh, The narrative of Pete Carroll held this offense back because he refused to just let Russell do Russell things um, especially when you have weapons like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, do you guys buy into? Do you think that could factor into maybe why Russell Wilson isn't isn't an MVP or hasn't reached, quote-unquote, his max potential? Um, can, I quick, sure his can I quickly helpful. answer your question and say uh,
2: he could have one more ring if he would have just run the ball one more time? <laughs> That's also fair. <laughs> I, will, I will shortly answer – in the sense of because we've we have the discussion about the run and all those things i'm not really going to answer your question i know that's a shocker but the run still has value just look at the rams rams did not run the ball well in the super bowl but they kept doing it to keep guys honest and make guys commit to the run so that they could set up their play action and i think that's something to be said for the russell wilson in seattle situation of you still have to make teams believe that you're gonna run the football to keep guys committed to the run. So you're passing and your the field is more open to you versus what we see teams do to the Chiefs. They don't believe the Chiefs are gonna run the ball. And that's why the cover two has been what everyone says is what's solved you know, stopping the Chiefs.
1: I think there's there's a valid point. It's when it comes down to coaching in in that regard, when you look at the style of play—that's all. That's what Pete Carroll is. He's ground and pound and defense. Does that fit in today's NFL? Maybe not as well as it did even five years ago, six years ago, um, with the the evolution of the uh, with the game and and what quarterbacks are able to do. But the the fact that they say you say you know Pete Carroll just runs the ball so much. The top two backs in Seattle's. Uh, offense, or so Rashad Penny and Alex Collins this last year combined. do You guys have any idea how many rushes, rush attempts they had this year? Ooh, Stop. that's a great question.
2: They they stopped running the ball. They let the NFL break them. And I
0: will say pass all the time between the two of them, I'll say two hundred and forty.
2: I'm gonna go with forty forty five. Was that my Michael Burton number? Was it fifteen? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, so they had they actually had 227 rushes between the two of them. Oh, Do you have wow. any idea how many rushes the Chiefs' top two running backs had, which was Clyde and Darrell Williams? Oh man, I I we just looked at this
2: not long ago, and I already forgot something in like 400 four, No, not in the four. I didn't crack the 400s. Yeah. I don't think between the two of them,
1: they would be 263. Oh my so the Chiefs God. ran the ball more than Russ, than the Seahawks. Yes, Patrick Mahomes threw the ball a lot more. But I don't think it's as much that – Pete. I just think the Seahawks' offense wasn't that good. Like, <laughs> that's just the reality. Because Russell Wilson still threw the ball 400 times. Like, it's not like he's not throwing the ball around. And, yes, he had a ridiculous weapon. Should you try to get the ball in DK Metcalf's hands as often as possible? Yes. But there there is a – Pete Carroll's not a dumb coach. If he was a dumb coach, he would would have never come back and won a Super Bowl because, obviously, he did not have a great run in the NFL the first time, went to college, was amazing, and then made a wise decision to get out of college at the right time to come to the NFL and be a very successful coach. He's not dumb. If he thought that Russell Wilson could take a bad offense, put it on his shoulders, and make that work, I think he'd probably allow it to happen, but he realized that, you know, the best option we have is to try to take the pressure off of Russell Wilson, run our play-action pass game that won us the Super Bowl, and I just don't think they're as competent as a team as they were when they won the Super Bowl and they were able to do that as well. So I I don't, I don't agree. Yes, Pete Carroll runs the ball more than maybe some coaches. That's his style, but I don't think it's probably as much of oh he just doesn't like Russell Wilson. No, oh, Russell Wilson isn't good or any of this i think that's just his game plan because again russell wilson out of the 400 attempts only completed 259 of them he was a 66 or under a 65 percent passer or or completion percentage which geno smith had a higher passing completion than he did um so so i i just think it's it's more of a that was the scheme that right Pete Carroll was going to run. I don't think it was an intention of, oh, we're just holding Russell Wilson back. Yes, Russell Wilson didn't get the opportunity to play in a wide-open offense with him, but that's what Pete Carroll is. Like, that's how he's been forever. He's not going to just change because Russell Wilson wants to throw the ball around the yard.
0: Quick update. So, this podcast is recorded on Tuesdays. We're recording this on Tuesday, March 8th. It drops on Thursdays because – the editor needs a day to be able to get that done. But uh, just for your guys' reactions, or probably just for me, but um, Seattle furthering its rebuild, they just cut all-pro linebacker Bobby Wagner. Cornett, I, had heard, I had heard that <laughs> that was a possibility just for a cap casualty. They saved $16.6 million against the cap. Bobby Wagner is now a free agent. Uh, I've I've heard that Bobby Wagner is a
2: shell of the man he used to be. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to back that up.
0: So <laughs> take that as you will. I, I
2: don't want any more old linebackers is what
0: I would say. Okay. No, just wanted to lob it out there because I knew that was something that you guys might have a reaction to um, last thing for me. Just a, and this is not a comment, but something else. To wait, wait, with wait, wait,
2: wait, wait. I do have one more question before we move on.
0: Okay, well we'll get to your question here next, then. Would
2: um, – would wait, wait, wait. Would you sign Bobby Wagner to play defensive
0: tight end? No, I don't think he's got the wheels for it, man. <laughs> tight ends are weird now. They're running <laughs> four fives out here, dude. No, we, <laughs> Sean, we I like how them.
2: you were about to skip my question, and I acted like it was actually important. So uh <laughs> Sean Murray, I appreciate Jake, you, we, for that.
1: you You managed to solve the defensive tight end last week, and – That man's name is Josh Allen. He plays quarterback for the Buffalo
0: Bills. You did it. It's not not messed with a good thing. That was the answer. Uh, Last last thing I wanted to add to this conversation is I went and looked up Denver Broncos' cap number. This is from over the cap. This includes Russell Wilson's cap hit now. Uh, They are estimated that the Denver Broncos, even post-Russell Wilson trade, still have $26 million in change to spend this offseason. Obviously, some of that has to be dedicated towards their draft, which isn't going to be expensive now that they don't have a first-rounder. But there's – again, they've got room to make some moves if they want to really help, like you said, Jacob improve the offensive line, find find more options on defense. Maybe Von Miller, who's been not so subtly hinting on his Instagram that he really wants to go back to the Denver Broncos – ends up back there. This is going to be a lot of fun to watch. If you're an NFL fan, AFC West is must-watch TV at this point. Let's move to our second point of the first topic because, and this might just be the whole show at this point, other things kind of got buried because of the Russell Wilson trade, one of those was that Mike Williams, wide receiver for the Los Angeles Chargers, signed an extension with his current, with his old team, the Chargers signed Mike Williams to a three-year, sixty million dollar contract ex- uh, since his previous contract ran out, which is twenty million per year annually. But I think the big number that jumps out at you is that forty million of that is guaranteed. Last week we came out with a number; they came out news that the Chiefs have been working on an extension with Tyreek Hill. They started those talks during the combine. This number, I think, changes how you look at that That extension. Guys, give me your reaction to Mike Williams, a guy that we all, I think, pound for for each of us, said that he was a please don't sign in free agency for each of us. Just and Not because he's not a good, talented or a good player. If you look at his stats, you'd be like, why wouldn't you want that guy? But just because of the inconsistency. And now he's got a three-year, $60 million contract that has... Two thirds of that contract completely guaranteed with forty million dollars. Um we'll flip things this time and Sam start with you. What was your reaction to this contract extension for Mike Williams?
1: It, it's all it's a lot of money, man. <laughs> for, like I think we all kind of knew he was he was one of the guys that was just gonna see a contract come through that no one really saw it's worth it um there there always seemed to be that guy every year where they get lots of money uh what was the wide receiver i don't think it was near this month that money but the wide receiver went to the giants from the lions oh um, last uh, year galladay Kenny galladay yeah Galladay. Yeah. kind of similar situation where it's like he's the only one out there so let's go spend lots of money Galladay um, was 18 I, per. Just, just as an update to you. Yeah, like not near, obviously, <laughs> not, not what Mike Williams just got. But still, it, it, there always seems to be one of those where it's like, yeah, you're gonna see him get a crazy contract for no real reason, or doesn't we? For us watching him twice a twice a year since he came in the NFL, we're like. Really? Like, that's that's the guy that's getting this contract? Um, I'm glad the Chargers did it and we didn't, like Jacobs said. <laughs> I guess that's the big thing. But it, I, I guess that's just kind of everyone gets that lucky day because I think if he would have gone in to an offseason that was loaded with free agent wide receivers, he would not have that contract ever offered to him again. So I guess Mike Williams – Good on you for getting your money, man. Congratulations. <laughs> go get some chilies.
0: <laughs> He's got chilies money, man. Oh, if you don't know what that reference is, go to a couple episodes ago. You'll find it. Uh, just to back up your point, Sam Kenny Galladay, uh, eighteen million per year. Uh, like Jacob said, which you know is relatively close, I guess, to twenty million, but it's over four years, seventy-two million dollars. And over four years and seventy two million dollars, Kenny Galladay is also getting forty million guaranteed. So, similar. I mean, you're talking on an extra year, and he's, and he's yeah, yeah, like, and Mike Williams is making the same amount of money, guaranteed over the course of this contract. I just, man, Jacob, what about you? Yeah, I think you were like the first one out of us to say, Mike Williams, please no, it's not for us. Yeah no um first thing i didn't hear the 40 million
2: guarantee that is wild uh now let's let's put this into context first off i want you to you guys to hear the highest average per year wide receivers and tell me which one of these things doesn't sound like the other deandre hopkins julio jones devonte adams keenan allen mike williams amari cooper Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin, Tyreek Hill. One, one of those names really stands out to me. Some of the guys are paid for their past performance. You know, the Julio Joneses of the world, Mike Thomas at this point. But they've been elite. But they've been elite. Now, if, if Mike Williams had four years prior to this one, like he did this year, He had 1,146 yards and nine touchdowns. Awesome. If he had four years of that, I could justify the contract. The issue is the previous year, 756 yards, five touchdowns. You're essentially, that's essentially, that's essentially Nicole Hardman. I know we're, we try to stay away from him on this, but that's essentially who was the previous year. And then kind of a statistic anomaly here. This is kind of wild. The previous year, he had a thousand yards and he had two touchdowns. Which, again, that's kind of weird. But his average reception, yards per reception, 20.4 yards. That is wild. That means you you built up your stats on big catches. <laughs> and then the previous year, 664 yards and 10 touchdowns. Literally, the definition of Mike Williams is inconsistency. It's just sometimes I get a lot of yards. Sometimes I get some touchdowns. I don't do both, though unless I'm in my contract year.
0: This comp just keeps adding up more and more to the Kenny Galladay situation where he had two good years. The one year he got in 2019 where he had 1,100 yards, almost 1,200, got 11 touchdowns, banked in, and just fell off a cliff. Sean,
2: one One more question or just kind of observation I've had about all this is isn't it kind of fun just playing along with free agency when you, before free agency and all these stories come out, make your list, and they all just kind of pick themselves off one by one? We had a lot of Twitter fans that are, were Calvin Ridley guys. We had some Mike Williams uh, fans out there. I am a huge proponent of Von Miller if the numbers right. All these guys just kind of slowly pick themselves off of your, your Christmas list.
0: I'm just praying to God Juju doesn't do anything stupid between now and March 14th. Uh, let me also settle just down on the Robinson
2: is, people as well. Yeah. Allen Robinson also not happening to cross him off your Christmas list. The
1: biggest, the biggest thing I think this contract does that we're not talking about, and obviously it will be a long discussion. We don't need to continue it this evening necessarily. Like, what's this going to do for these free agent wide receivers we're interested in? that just set the market precedent for wide receivers for this year. And now we're looking at the chiefs wanting to get one of those. What are we going to have to pay to try? I mean, Juju, I would say is a better receiver than Mike Williams. Obviously wasn't able to stay on the field this last year, Allen Robinson, I was considered a much better wide receiver. So there's a new precedent for what wide receivers are being paid. And are we even going to be able to afford one? So I think that's something that, when we look at what the what the reality of the co- the consequence of this decision or this deal, yeah, that's a big big amount of money for Mike Williams, but that kind of reset the pay scale for wide receivers now, as we've kind of seen that happen with quarterbacks in the past. I'll
2: answer your question, Sam, because I think it's a good one. It it has a route at this point. You're going to see a lot of guys get overpaid because they're going to point at Mike Williams, but you're also going to have a bunch of guys that. Teams ran out of money, and they're like, "Sorry, we can't pay you that money you want anymore." And there'll be some guys that'll that'll sit there late into free agency. That, like, why aren't they on a team yet? Teams ran out of money to pay that guy what that guy thinks he's worth. Happened to Juju Smith-Schuster last year. I mean, it was—he claims it was more of he wanted to return to the Steelers. He got one year, eight million. You don't think he would have come to the Chiefs if they were like, "Hey, Juju." three for 45. We'll give you essentially the Sammy Watkins-ish deal.
0: (laughs) I think that's why I'd like to your point Sam I'm pursuing Juju like I'm doubling down on my like I want Juju Smith-Schuster in Kansas City because that's the kind of guy that has severe upside but I think you can get for like a one to two year deal at a reasonable cost because he's coming off a, a quote unquote down year due to injury. He's shown in the past he can be a terrific number two receiver. You know, to your point, Jacob, your, your barometer for elite receivers is usually can you put up 1,400 yards? Juju did that. He did that. But he did it at a time when his quarterback still had a big, y- big arm and a guy next to him or across from him that was a true elite number one receiver. He wouldn't have to be the number one guy in Kansas City. He could be that number two receiver. Number three, technically, if you count, like, if you're talking about all receivers and not just wide receivers, include Travis Kelsey, that's the guy for me. And then maybe, like, go make an offer for uh, Tyler Lockett in Seattle. Um, There's some cap things you have to work around. Chief and Bearcat on Twitter and uh, Chief's Corner kind of help break it down. I think essentially what it comes down to is, like, you'd pay, like, $3 million – this coming season. And, and I, I think those are the moves you're going to have to maybe make um, to your point, Sam, given what this does, to the wide receiver market.
2: Uh, Since you opened the bag of worms, would you trade for DK Metcalf then? No. You, know, you got to give him a contract after this yes. year. Though.
0: No, I wouldn't do it. Yes. I thought about I this a lot care. today.
1: <laughs> I don't care. Yes, <laughs>
0: Okay,
2: He needs one. this to
0: happen. He needs it to happen.
2: <laughs> you know what? I have one more question on kind of rewinding, but we're still in, in – you all sparked the mind of it for me. I've seen a lot of people out there now saying, oh, man, they've got to load up on defense now with, you know, the quarterbacks that are going to be in this division. I kind of felt the opposite way where I was like, no, you load up on offense to make sure that you're going to outshoot all those teams.
1: Yeah, (laughs) you load up on offense and you get really good pass rushers.
2: Yes, yeah. Because no cornerback is
1: going to be able to cover now. Like, that's the thing.
2: (laughs) I went into the offseason, you know, looking at the Brady track with the Patriots of, you know, why can't Patrick Mahomes have a good defense and not have to win games for the team all the time? After the Wilson trade, I've already flipped my script and said, Let's go get nasty on offense. I don't care how bad the defense is at this
0: point. If you want to go full 2003 offense for 2022 version where it's just passing, I'm on board. I think mean, that'd be great. I, I say I wouldn't trade for DK Metcalf, but if they brought him in, I'd be pumped. Like, I,
1: financially, doesn't make sense. This we'll doesn't make Tyler sense, no. Can you give us Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf? Oh, well. we well, give him well, Frank well, Clark I mean, back. They can have Frank Clark.
0: The thing is, like, you probably could make that work. Like, if you wanted to cut Frank Clark post-June 1, you save a lot more money and then go trade for Tyler Lockett post-June 1 because then the Seahawks save a lot of money. I'm with you, Jacob. Let's let's see if they can put up an average of 40 a game. Let's find out just how good Patrick Mahomes can be when he has just weapons all over the place. And then, like Sam said, let's just get guys, like, let's do a full NASCAR package, full-time on defense, just all stand-up pass rushers other than Chris Jones who plays like a, a nose or a three tech and that's it. That's the whole game plan. All right. Last thing here about the uh, uh, off season away from the Chiefs, and we'll get to some chief specific stuff. You might not get to everything I had on this rundown because these have been really long and in-depth fun conversations, but leaves us more to talk about down the road. We'll maybe get to the combine next week. We'll see. But we want to start with kind of how this affects the, what what's going on with the chiefs free agents and what what's, gonna happen here in just a minute. So I want to make sure we have time for that. So last thing here about national news, and that's kind of what spurred all this is that this is the franchise tag deadline was this afternoon. So not as many names as I would have thought. I did think a lot about our conversation way back when we talked about when are the tight ends gonna get paid. Now it's now they're all gonna get tagged. They're all already talking about extensions and Zach Ertz uh, Matt the fan side had just reported that Zach Ertz is in negotiations for an extension in Arizona. Uh, Charles Goldman uh, tweeted this out. He's a managing editor for Chiefs Wire. Uh, tweeted out the full list of um, guys who are franchise tag designations. There are six of them. Um, Dallas' tight end, Dalton Schultz. Uh, Green Bay Packers, Devontae Adams. Jacksonville's uh, starting left tackle, Cam Robinson. This is the second time they've actually tagged him. Um, the Chiefs tagged Orlando Brown Jr. We knew that. Uh, Miami tagged Mike Gusecki, uh their tight end. We've all, just uh, Sam, I know he was one of your under the radar. Like, God, wouldn't it be fun to run double tight with him and Kelsey uh, the entire time? Miami made sure that he wasn't going anywhere. And then, lastly, to further complicate the wide receiver market, Tampa tagged Chris Godwin, uh, wide receiver coming off their AC, his ACL injury. Anything jump off the page at you? Any any reactions or, or determinations that you took from that list of of guys who are being franchised? Um, we'll flip things back around, and Jacob will come to you this time.
2: The one that did crack me up, and I can't take credit for it because I started hearing certain Petro joking about it, was David and you getting franchise tagged with the intention of signing him long-term. I was like, man, the Browns, they had a moment there where the excitement was back, when Baker was the man and the roster look good. And now they're back to being the Browns. The other one that did kind of make me a little bit sad was, you know, I, I don't have extended look at the guy to really know what he is, but just from the limited times, I did see him, Jesse Bates getting tagged. I was like, that's the route the chiefs could go if they're moving on from Tyron Matthew. Like I
0: thought and think they are. Yeah. I don't think I actually read the full list there. So I appreciate you on those two names Sam uh, what about you what what jumped off the page about the guys who got tagged as it were uh, here this afternoon
1: yeah I mean I was kind of surprised that you're seeing the tags be placed on the tight ends to be completely honest because that big contract hasn't necessarily gone through yet that that restructuring of the market hasn't occurred yet so I would assume with, with very talented – I mean, Dalton Schultz and uh, Gaseki are both talented uh, tight ends. I kind of figured they might try to sneak in in Joku again. Why? Like, that's like a, even – he wouldn't cost a whole lot, I don't think, even if you didn't, like, even if the market was high. But, no, I, I'm surprised they didn't try to kind of, like, sneak in maybe on this last little round because, yeah, once the tight ends start signing – all you're setting yourself up for is having to sign them for even more if they do have another good set of years, which I think both those guys will. Um, I think more like guys that got left off. I, I was the fact that JC Jackson is actually making it to free agency. I know Bill Belichick doesn't like to pay defenders, but the fact that they wouldn't franchise tag him is more surprising to me than almost anybody that got tagged just because he is such a shutdown corner. Like, I know, again, I know Bill Belichick, he doesn't like paying people, but usually the thing he likes to pay are secondary players. Like when you look at Gilmore, some of the players he's kept around, secondary seems to be the one that he's like, okay, we can spend a little money on that. So I I was actually kind of surprised not to see him be tagged um, and actually look like he's probably going to make it into free agency if obviously the Patriots don't manage to sign him back. just saying, go two for two my dream free agent and we talked
0: about uh what was it two weeks ago last week i can't remember time's an illusion now but i was talking to a friend who was asking saying how cool would it be if jc jackson was a chief and i said hey i'm just saying the last time i said dream free agent on the podcast or the first time i said it joe tooney ended up being a chief so i'm just putting it out there for all the football gods jc jackson was my dream free agent that would be incredible
2: can I break your heart? What's the most uh, Brett Veach has paid for a cornerback in his tenure?
0: $4.5 for Bashad Breeland, something like that, <laughs> at most. Man, we're not.
2: So, so I I think he's about $15 million out of the Chiefs' budget.
0: <laughs> uh, for me, I think the thing that jumped out, uh, again, and I, I apologize I didn't have the full list up, but yeah, it's eight guys, which includes Gusecki, and Njoku and Schultz. What was the conversation about like tight ends getting paid? Like, Njoku's not even a big name guy. And Dalton Schultz has basically had one year where he's done this. And yet the idea of losing the edge that an elite pass catching tight end can give you is such a threat that they applied the tag to them to try and work out extensions. You know, Mike Giseki, I think. We're more aligned with it just because of the athleticism that he's shown, I mean all of them are athletic and joke is a freak, but like Gaseki's at least shown some production behind that. This is I think this is the, the effect of you know Travis Kelsey and George Kittle finally kind of like, hey guys look, but then you have guys like Mark Andrews who have come around. Kyle Pitts has the greatest receiving rookie year for receiving yards by a, a rookie tight end in the history of the NFL. I think people are starting to maybe come around to this idea that like, Ooh, if you have an elite tight end who can really catch the ball or an elite athletic tight end, at least who can really catch the ball, that gives you an advantage that not a lot of teams have. And so any potential option for that, I think a lot of these teams are now trying to make sure it doesn't go away. That that option stays open to them. On the point of the tag and free agency, let's move to a Chiefs-centric discussion on that because buried amongst all of this news earlier this week and a little bit this past weekend is that the Chiefs uh, tagged Orlando Brown Jr. and also it came out from Ian Rapoport that Tyron Matthew will test the free agent market. So it sounds like at best the Chiefs would be there to take Matthew back if there wasn't a major contract out for him on the free agent market, which there's some discussion about now where we all kind of thought that Matthew would break the the dollar number for safeties. Ian Rappaport gave a report where, uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase here, I'll cut to the chase, where he talked about how Matthew might break double digits or could break double digits on an, annual per or a per year annual salary that is not the number that we thought tyron matthew was going to command you know we were thinking you know harrison smith got what 16 16 and a half million with the vikings we're thinking matthew's like i want more than him because i know i'm better than that guy and i'm younger so i want more money than he's getting and now the discussion on Twitter, at least, is will Matthew even get ten million dollars? Will he break double digits? Again, we don't really know what the market will be. You know, March fourteenth, the legal tampering period opens up, so you know, just six, not even a full week away from as we're recording this here on Tuesday, March eighth, we'll maybe have some more idea of like if that holds true. But that shocked the hell out of me that Matthew might not even command double digit. Uh, million dollar contract. What was your guys' reaction? What? How do you feel about the idea that Matthew might not command a ten million dollar contract from for Ian
1: Rapaport? Um, Sam, we'll come to you first. Kind of hard to believe for me. Um, it, the fact that you're talking not even ten million dollars—like he'd be lucky to crack that—I. I, that's hard for me. I know. I know Matthews kind of at the tail end of his career. I don't think he's near done, but obviously at the, the twilight of his career, we should say. Uh, and maybe not the same player he was when he first got to the Chiefs, but I think he's proven he's still one of the better safeties in the NFL. And the fact that the money that's being already thrown around, like I, I, I just cannot imagine him not making over $10 million. I, I'm not gonna be mad at it like if that's the price that he's coming back on I'm like if if that's what he goes out and tries to shop around and the market's just not there that's great because that means we'll be able to bring him back at a, at a rate that I think we probably would be very a lot more comfortable with than having to pay him 16 plus million dollars a year which is kind of what we were like oh if he's getting that there's no way he's coming back so yeah if the market's not there cool but I, I don't I don't fully believe it. Um, But it's, we'll have to kind of see when, again, once the defensive players start getting paid, we'll get an idea of where the precedent is. Cause again, all we've really seen is really the big one wide receiver contract so far. Um, And then trade, the trade deals and Aaron Rodgers, obviously. But so we'll have to see. Um, I, I just, I see it as a hard. Not necessarily the most believable report that Rapport has ever put out.
0: Jacob, what about you? What was your reaction to the report that Matthew might break double digits with a new contract on the free agent market?
2: Yeah, I think it's almost a given that he will break double digits. $10 million is the 14th best player. Now, that includes Tyron Matthew and those 14 as of right now. I can't see him even settling on the fact that he would be by salary, the 15th best safety. He's, he's a, he's a businessman. Just look at how many teams he's been on already. He wants to get paid. It's going to happen. It's likely not going to be the chiefs. And I think, I think it can be a mutual best for both parties. Kind of a deal.
0: Yeah, I'm. I have to wonder if like Rappaport misspoke. Maybe he had one thing in mind and just it came out different because that number just seems so low for me. Which kind of leads us to our next topic on on this point, which is if if is there a number that you'd bring him back at? What would be the number that you would feel comfortable bringing back? Tyre Matthew, who is you know thirty and has had coming off has had previous injury history. And knowing that the Chiefs are already kind of strapped for cap, what's the number that you would feel comfortable bringing Tyron Matthew back if his market really isn't what we had anticipated? Um, Sam, we'll start with you.
1: Yeah, so looking at general safety numbers, we we went into this season before this whole report came out. I think we had already had this conversation kind of about what we were looking at, what we'd be comfortable with, with our cap number. It, if this is a reality and, and the, the safety market is that low that we're just not going to see that kind of money going to a safety right now, uh, honestly, like even 10 million a year, like that's a deal for Matthew, I think. And if you can get him at that, I, I'm more than happy to bring him in at that level. Um, I'd have to go back. Cause again, we, he's getting about 14, he's getting 14 million a year a- average right now. Um, and so he, he's going to go out and test the market and I, I wouldn't bring him back for more than what he's making now. So anywhere from, for me, anywhere from 10 to 14 million, I'm comfortable, not necessarily most excited about it. Cause I've kind of, I I've reached the point where if he goes, I'm like, okay, I'll accept it. Like at this point, like I'm, I'm past the point of really wanting him back, I think. Um, if he comes back, great, but I think it has to be at a very team friendly deal for us, um, just so we can fill the other holes we need at this point.
0: Jacob, what about you? Is there a number, and what would it be to bring Tyron Matthew back if his market does in fact not materialize the way that we thought it would be i'm I'm even less friendly, I
2: guess, than Sam because I'd want him at, like, 8 to 10. And beyond that, I don't want to pay a guy that old with that much injury history with... <laughs> it's not something that really affects the Chiefs, but his Twitter antics of just being goofy on Twitter.
0: Doesn't it, though? Like...
2: Why would they, the why they
0: care? Well, this is the question. because Well, because how it reflects on the team and also, like, how it, it impacts, like negotiations like he had another one today that he deleted about you know he, he responded to someone I didn't have that tweet but he talked about what money I wasn't offered anything you know that's I think after a while I mean how often were people talking about him throwing his hands up every time the defense blew a play early in the year like his antics did draw attention to the team and I think I want to know how much of that impacts not just the front office go, oh, my God, do we want this guy? But, like, the guys in the locker room. Does when – does at a certain point, does that wear on you a different way than maybe when you first come in and someone's, like, there to, like, really, you know, get into you and tell you, hey, no, we're doing it this way. But once you've had success, kind of to Sam's point with, like, McColl Hardman where Nicole came in and just, like, stepped into a team that won the Super Bowl. I think that's hard for guys to like step into a situation where everything's good, and then there's some guy who's just on you all the time. But then he's also fighting with fans on Twitter, calling him toxic, and there's there's kind of this double, there's two sides of this coin that don't seem to match up with what you get from Tyron Matthew, at least from a fan's perspective. And in, in the locker, room, everyone talks about how much they love him. So I I couldn't tell you, but. I want to know: Does that has that affected how they feel about it? I have no idea. He's never thrown a teammate into the bus, and
2: I don't think teams would care, and I don't think his teammates probably care that much because he never says a thing about them,
0: right? Other than praising them. What unless you're Dan Sorensen, and then he's got his big yellow gloves just up in the air, going, "Why, but, bro?" That he
2: never even in the slightest said something bad about him. Even I think he even praised Dan and was like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, I know for a fact he did." He said, "You guys don't understand football and what that guy does." It was something along those lines. Yeah, it was like yeah. I don't have to understand football to see when I have eyes. I I have eyeballs that show me forty forty nine. The white guy on defense chasing wide receivers down the field twenty yards away from him.
0: But do you know see how he quickly did you wrong. pivoted? Like, see how quickly you pivoted from defending Matthew to No, I know what I'm talking about. Dan Sorensen got torched. Like he was so fast from oh yeah, no, like everyone loves Dan. He's always defended Dan. And then it's like, but no, but he's wrong. Like your your thought. What like,
1: that that's a Different conversation than I think what we're necessarily having. He, right. I think what Jacob's saying is that he's never, he, he hasn't been toxic towards the team. Right. He's okay. been like, he's kind of Kevin Durant-esque where <laughs> just random, like why type things, nothing. Ne- it's never been like you look at it. Like you've never looked at Tyron Matthews Twitter and just been like, are you freaking kidding me? It's more like, really, like tweet delete, right. tweet delete. So there, I don't think it's it's he hasn't done anything that would make the Chiefs look at him and be like, you are a detriment to the organization because of the way you act. Right? They might say, you know, we would appreciate it if you if you kept some contract information to yourself sometimes. But no, I, I think. I don't, I don't see what he does online as nearly as bad as what we've seen other people, other players do in the world of sports in general.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. For me, I'm with you, Jacob. It's, it's eight to 10. Just because of age and injury history. Like that's, it's a lot to put into one player with that as much as I'd love to have him back. Cause I do think he's a really good safety, but just with every other hole they have to fill, which for a team that's contending, they have a lot of them. I don't want to spend that much money on a guy who's who's on the wrong side of thirty at this point. Now the Chiefs did actually get involved uh, before the franchise tag deadline and did apply the tag to Orlando Brown Jr. It was expected. Brett Veach basically said as much was going to happen when they were at the NFL Combine this past weekend, and here we are now again with uh, Orlando Brown Jr. under the tag going to be about $16.5 million is kind of what Over the Cap has estimated at this point uh, for, for what it's going to cost. And again, once the league year starts, it's fully guaranteed up front once it's signed. What makes this situation weird is apparently Orlando Brown Jr. does not have an agent as of right now. It was reported earlier this week that he is debating whether or not he wants to hire an agent or whether he wants... To represent himself in these contract negotiations. He, the, Jacob, you kind of were talking about before the podcast about what was Saran Petro talking about a report that came out from one of Orlando Brown's mentors about what he's focused on right now. And it's not necessarily the contract, but one of the things he talked about was wanting to be the highest paid left tackle in football. How do you think Orlando Brown Jr. not having an agent? could affect this process. Jacob, we'll start with you here.
2: It could be clunky. That's how I think it could be. And it could be weird and it could, I think it could almost get personal. I think that's what you run the risk of if you're representing yourself and worrying for this reason. If you're spending your time worrying about getting your contract made the right way you're not focusing on the thing that's getting you that contract which is just becoming the best player you can let somebody else take care of it you go prove it on the field what you're worth when you're sitting there fighting the team over it if if it gets to that point we we have no insight as to that's what it'll be other than a life coach mentor saying he wants to be the top paid left tackle which Vomit in my mouth. Why can't people realize what they're worth? I I also don't think it's all that crazy that they put the non-exclusive tag on him. Meaning the only difference between the exclusive and non-exclusive is that you get the average of the top five salaries when you get either tag. Difference on non-exclusive is other teams can negotiate a contract with you. Chiefs would get the chance to match that contract. And if they don't and he goes to the new team, the new team also has to give up two first round draft picks. Do I think that's going to happen? If this was Madden, sure. Like Sam said, we, Madden Madden. We've doesn't already established so we've moved we're slowly moving into
1: Madden territory in
2: the real world here. So or or again, just to clarify for Sean, ESPN two K five.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs>
2: I, you know, Sean, was a little, Sean was a little confused there. Sam and I lived in, lived in the $50 world. Sean's living in the $20 world.
1: Sean played Madden. It was just about five years after each game came out. Yeah. <laughs> 2012 came out. I was
0: playing Madden in 2007.
1: <laughs> I think that's with uh,
2: Mike Vick on the front. It's
0: Mike Vick? <laughs> and
2: and Evil's the Eagles Mike Vick. Madden
1: game. You no, know that one. <laughs>
2: Eagles Mike Vick. No, nah, he was
1: it was yeah, a Falcons Mike it was on
2: 04, wasn't it? Maybe it was 04. I, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not the Madden cover expert. But well I'm not either. We've already established I played like old Madden games. <laughs> we both know who's on ESPN 2K5, so that's all that matters.
0: I had to create Eric Berry to be on the Chiefs team in Madden 09. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's where I was at. <laughs> At some point, I had a point here, and maybe I'll make my way
2: back to it. But, no, the, the point was this. Look at what the Chiefs gave up for Orlando Brown. Trade down from the first to the second. I think give up your third, something something like that. Another team's not going to give up two firsts, even if my dream world is some other team comes in and gives them two first-round picks for Orlando Brown. You you can see where I'm going with this. The Chiefs are going to have their hand forced, and they're going to have to sign the guy long-term at some point. Again, I think the best thing that can happen is he develops really well over this year, and you can pay him what he he thinks he's worth because then you have a franchise-left tackle, and he proved it.
0: Sam, what about you? What do you make of this the Brown situation? Now that he's been officially tagged, he doesn't have an agent he's debating whether or not to represent himself. It's a weird situation where he had a season that half of the season, he, he had a lot of ups and downs and in the second half, he looked pretty darn good. What
1: do you make of this whole thing? It, it's honestly very reminiscent of what's going on with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, where he has family members representing himself, like obviously not identical, but I think probably similar. Um, or could could revolve or result to be relatively similar. And, and honestly, I hope it doesn't go down that route. Um, I, I don't know much about Orlando Brown. I don't know he maybe he studied finance in college. maybe he is very good at this type of situation. I, I honestly don't know. Um, but you have the money to pay an individual who does that for a living. Yes, you have to pay him to do it everybody does it when, when you reach a certain tax bracket, I think you immediately have to get a tax guy. When you start making this much money, it's probably a good idea to have a lawyer go over the contract information. And maybe that's what it'll do. Maybe he won't necessarily have an uh, an agent, but we'll have lawyers that will kind of, I think I've heard of, of players do that where they don't have a representative agent. They have, they basically pay lawyers for, to, to go over the, a contract to ensure that it's airtight and whatnot, but not having a, a solid, just dedicated agent that they fall have follow around them constantly. I don't know. Um again, I, I wish I had that much money where I had to have these kind of conversations in my real life and just be like, do I want to have an agent? Do I not? That'd be great. But my my only hope is Orlando Brown falls into the falls in love with Patrick Mahomes even more and just realizes, you know, I'm gonna take a team-friendly deal as well, just because I like being in this guy's wedding. He's like my best friend after a year now. I don't need an agent because I'm just going to help the Chiefs win. It's my hope. Fingers crossed.
0: I I worry I worry less about what it does to the dollars if he doesn't have an agent, and kind of Jade, what you're talking about. I I worry more about what it does and and. Same kind of what you talking about, Lamar Jackson. I worry about it. What it does to the relationship? Like last year, I forget. I forget who the player was, but someone released a clip of a negotiation between a front office and an agent. There was a phone conversation. It was not pleasant. Like it made me makes you realize what these teams do and what these agents do. In order to achieve these contracts, there there is there is a lot of there was a lot of come on man he didn't do X Y Z, and then the agent would rebut with, "Are you kidding?" It's you know whatever it was he he did this thing this year only so many tight ends or wide receivers or whatever. I, gosh, I wish I could remember the player who it was. Um, but it was it was nerve wracking. It was actually uncomfortable to watch. And so for me, that's the part that would make me uncomfortable with Orlando Brown Jr. negotiating his own contract, is that you ruin the chance to keep a good player. Because I do think Orlando Brown Jr. is a very good player. Whether or not he's worth top tackle money is a different conversation. I think that's that's the problem when you say something like, I don't want to pay him the most money that you'd ever pay a tackle. People say, oh, you don't think he's very good. No, I think he's a very good left tackle if he plays like he for a full season the way he did the second half of this past year. But I don't know if that's worth paying $26 million per year with, I imagine, is going to be an ungodly amount of guaranteed money. So for me, I think that's the part that I would worry about is that you get into a position where it's like, oh, Orlando Brown Jr. again wants to be traded because of negotiations that go on. Um, Other than that, I mean, you you assume he's going to get extended. But I think that would be the one thing I'd be nervous about. All right, last thing for tonight, and this is a very quick hitter. This is just a rumor that was floating around last week and wanted to get your guys' opinions on it. There's a lot of talk and an expectation that um, Green Bay Packers, defensive end slash outside linebacker, edge, is is the term that you would probably use for this guy. zadarius Smith is expected to be released because of how much money it would save the Packers uh, on their cap number. Uh, zadarius Smith is a very good pass rusher over the last uh three out of the last four years. Last year only played one game though due to injury. Before that, 12 and a half sacks in 2020, in 2019, 13 and a half and 18, or excuse me, eight and a half sacks in 2018. As, as a part, as a role player, he played 16 games, but only started eight of those versus being a start of the past two years in 2019 and 2020. So just real quick, wanted to get your guys opinion. Yay or nay on Zadarius Smith? And Sam, will start with you here first.
1: Yes, because I think he's going to be very similar to Melvin Ingram last offseason, where it's going to be going for a prove it one year deal. And I would prefer the Chiefs not wait till midway through the season to have to trade to get that kind of player to the organization after they let him walk out at the beginning of the season.
0: Jacob, what about you? Yay or nay on Zadarius Smith as a Chief if he is indeed released?
2: As with any deal, you know, it's what's the price tag. He is, he would be three years younger than uh, Melvin Ingram. I I watched. Here's the extent of my film scene on Zadarius Smith. I watched a sack that the NFL had posted on YouTube from him. He still looks very athletic. It was crazy to see his closing speed on whatever quarterback he was sacking. It was all I needed to see to be like, okay, I'm okay with bringing this man in if he is that quick to close on a quarterback. But yeah, as with any time, it's like, what's the number? Because I think Sam's right. I do think he's going to be a guy that waits around a little bit. And then you might be able to get him on a friendly deal. Because like we've already talked about, Vaughn Miller, Chandler Jones, those guys are going to get a lot of money. That's where a lot of money is going to be thrown. And very similar to wide receivers. The question always is, does the market get reset? And guys feel like they should be paid a certain amount? Or do teams run out of money? Both things happen. Uh, also, I forgot to go back, but I was gonna go. I was gonna go cross sport here because that happened to Major League Baseball when, you know, like, pay the big free agents, and then a bunch of guys just fell through the cracks. But to rewind, I I know there had to be some listeners out there that had Sam a prop bet on Sam being the first one to mention an NBA player's name. They <laughs> definitely won big money. Big money. <laughs> they would have won a lot of money. That was not a prop bet with good odds for Sam to say the first
0: NBA player name. No, you were if you made that bet, you were one of the people saying Cincinnati's gonna be in the Super Bowl like that's <laughs> that's the kind of money you just made. I think for me, I'm with you. If it's a one two year deal, I'm on board. I think Zadarius Smith is a terrific player when he's healthy. It's just is he gonna be healthy and that's that's really all it comes down to for me is if you get him on one or two years. And supplement with maybe, you know, Melvin Ingram on the other side and then a draft pick at 30 to really bolster that pass rush, I'm on board. I think Zedarius Smith next to Chris Jones would be absolutely fantastic.
2: Has he been released officially yet? No, he hasn't.
0: Like it's just it's this thing that keeps getting thrown around Twitter. It's like Zedarius Smith is expected to be released. And it's like, wait. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I could I can save you the time now.
2: It's I mean, even if, if it's not official. Roger's going back and Adam's getting tagged. He's probably going to get cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They And they already had
0: money issues before they brought both of those guys back. <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. That's going to do it for us tonight. We really appreciate you joining us as always. You guys make this an absolute ball for us to do. It's going to be a wild off season from start to finish so make sure you're you're keeping up with everything going on and we'll always be here each week to break it down and discuss it with you until next time y'all stay safe out there and we will talk to you next week